Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. everyone. Welcome to episode 35. Today's episode is part two of our conversation with Wendy Mullen, the legend behind iconic fashion brand built by Wendy. So if you didn't hear the last episode, go listen to that one first. You'll enjoy this one so much more. Just some advice. (laughs) You're only hearing from me, Amanda, in this intro because Kim and I both got vaccinated this weekend and we're both feeling a little too under the weather to sit down to record a new intro. So you've just got me, but just for another minute or two. On the bright side, this puts us one step closer to recording an episode of the department IRL someday, which I can't wait. I can't even imagine it. Before we jump back into the interview with Wendy, we want to remind you to submit any 2000s online dating stories you've tucked away for our next episode. Well, our next few episodes. We're about to embark on a series, a frightening series, an exciting series a probably somewhat hilarious series about the rise of online dating and all of the other trends and social phenomena that came along with it. Online dating was and is pretty weird. (laughs) It's its own thing, right? In the aughts especially, it was the absolute wild, wild west of weirdos and wackos and really wild stories. So we're rounding up as many listener stories as possible Uh, You can call the hotline. That's 717-925-7417. You could also email us a voice memo that you've recorded on your phone or computer. You can find that email address on our website. And last but not least, you could just write us a full-on long prose story retelling your internet dating adventures. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at underscore the underscore department. Kim has been posting all kinds of incredible vintage built by Wendy content this week, and it's so cool. And you can find out more, read the show notes, get some more deets at thedepartment.world. And last, I am required as anyone who has ever had a podcast in the history of podcasts to remind you that if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It gets us to more ears. And you could just follow us on your preferred podcast streaming service. Just hit that subscribe button. That's good for us too. All right. Are you ready to get into this? Let's go. So what was the most exciting moment for you when you actually like felt like you kind of like made it? I mean, there were sort of different moments, I would say maybe in like 97 I went downtown and incorporated as built by Wendy. And I remember leaving the courthouse with the paperwork and walking down the stairs downtown. And I felt like Mary Tyler Moore or something like there was like a soundtrack and I was like leaping in the air. Is that Mary (laughs) Tyler Moore or Rhoda? I don't know. One of those shows. It's like so empowering that you were like a 
a yeah. woman that had a business that was incorporated. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It was legitimate. Um, and then there was another thing that happened that was really wonderful, which was, um, God, what, what, I can't remember what year this was. I can't remember if it was before I opened my store or not. So it's either right before, it might, you know what? I think it was before 98. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was maybe like 96. I could give you the actual date later somewhere there. But um, teach, I had a fashion show at TG170. Mm-hmm. It was like my second real fashion show. And I did it with Alleged Gallery, which was Aaron Rose's gallery next door. It was like all skater guys like um, Thomas Ooh. Campbell and Mike Mills and, all you know, a lot of that scene, um, sort of pre-Supreme scene of skater people. And they had a little art show. I think I made a piece for the art show. And then at the same, we had sort of this like block party thing happening. And I had a fashion show where the models modeled in the window of TG 170. And then the entire street was filled with people. It was like, we took over the whole street. It was a total block party. And, um, after the All show, in your name. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> after the show, I was like hanging out, you know, drinking a beer on the street with everybody. And, Bill Cunningham rode up on his bike in his little blue jacket oh, and no. he was like, Hey, whose show is this? Like what's happening? And, and I was like, Oh, it's me. I'm Wendy. I just had a fashion show. And, and he's like, can I take your picture for the New York times? And I was like, yeah, of course. Do you know what you were wearing? Uh, I think I have a jacket on. I'll send it to you. I still have it. You know, I have the, I have like the tear from the New York times. And um, so he did a whole feature. It was like his whole section of like <gasps> his, um, art, his column wow. that he does. And so it was like pictures of all these different people out on the street who are at my show, my friends. Um, and then there is a picture of me, but the best part was, um, after he took my picture, he looks at me and he goes, <laughs> he goes, you're going to make it here, kid. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh, and it was so sweet. It was like, God, I, I literally was like, that was a moment where I was like, great. I've, I've entered That's in. I've been the accepted. Moment where you yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. And I actually, when he died, or right before he died, um, I, a friend of mine worked at the New York Times, and I was like, "Hey, will you give Bill this note?" And I sent him a tear from the New York Times, and I said, "You told me that I was going to make it, and I want you to know that I did, and I'm still around, and you know, whatever. This is." Maybe, oh my God. maybe, maybe this was like 2012. So it was years before he died, but I, I sent him that note mm-hmm. and she said that he was really pleased and psyched. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Anyways, that's an amazing story. Yeah. And, and opening my store on center marketplace mm-hmm. when not when I shared it with my friend, but when I took it over and it was like my whole thing that felt pretty yeah. legitimate. Kim and I were talking about like a lot of your iconic things and I know we already talked about the guitar straps, but we mm-hmm. definitely need to talk about the Wrangler collab because I think yeah. that that probably, I, I would just guess here that that collab reached so many people. I mean, I know we sold all the jeans at Urban Outfitters and they, we were selling them like hotcakes. A lot of my early inspiration was... And also learning. I mean, I think this is what a lot of young people do, but you know, you take what's out there in the world and you try to make it your own, you know? And so mm-hmm. I always, you know, look to vintage things were inspiring and then I would put my twist on it or, you know, 
thought of a way to kind of like disrupt it and make it different and all that, you know, unique. And um, so I had previously, I think I had used a horse as my logo for a couple of years. Um, and at the time, you know, it was sort of trendy, like Will Oldham and all that kind of like, you know, sort of folky country sound and all that Equestrian. stuff. Yeah, and I pulled <laughs> yeah, a lot of references yeah. from Western wear and um, utility wear and stuff like that. Um, and I made some jeans where I made a leather patch that was like a mimic of the Wrangler patch, but it said built by Wendy. You know, it's that's so mm-hmm. like nineties and aughts, like where you kind of do like a twist on, you know, like Adidas, but with a pot leaf. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's like ironic. Like yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Um, that really is. And so I did, I did that. And then I think, you know, I, I did a lot of, I like preppy clothes. I would always sort of pull from classic things that I thought were classic. And so I think I was doing an interview maybe for Sassy or Jane or, you know, like one of those, I don't know, or I guess Jane was after Sassy, but like, you know, or Nylon, one of those magazines. And it was the collaboration concept was just starting. Um, And I had always had this concept of like collaborating with like every classic brand that I loved and doing like my built by Wendy version of it. Weirdly opening ceremony kind of, did that, you know, in lots of ways, um, successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so at the time I was being interviewed and they were like, if you could do a collaboration with anybody, who would it be? And I mean, I think I said like Sperry Topsiders or, you know, like I was into Hudson blankets or, you know, like Woolrich and all this like preppy stuff. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, and I said, Wrangler is one of them. And so that was listed and somebody from Wrangler saw it. They called me. Wow. And this was when like collabs were kind of on the up and up and trends, right? Like they were, there was just like a trend. It was like barely, it was not even a trend. I mean, it was like, I would say I was like one of the earliest people to do it. Definitely. Yeah. Uh It was like very, very new. And, you know, again, this Mm -hmm. is like pre Instagram having like a million followers and you have, you know, it's like, they were just sort of read about me and they're like, let's bring this, you know, young New York designer woman down. So they flew me down to North Carolina and it was hilarious. Cause it's like, I went into a conference room with like 20 <laughs> old men. Like yes. I would say, yeah, they seemed old, you know, like, I mean, they were probably like in their fifties and sixties and garmento types. Yeah. No, no, no. They were like, they were like cowboys. Wow. They were like cowboys. Southern men, like in cowboy boots and cowboy hats <gasps> who worked at Wrangler. Yeah. Wow. They were not fashion at all. And actually, it was funny because they hadn't moved into the future. <laughs> like it was really outdated. You know, it was like, I remember walking yeah. through and it was like, I don't even think they really had a designer. I hope they're not listening to this and get mad. But like they, there was like the secretary had some plaid swatches. And I remember being introduced to her and she'd be like, oh, you're a designer. What do you think of the pocket on the shirt? <laughs> and I was like, why are you asking me? Like, aren't you the designer? Like, I remember like people were grabbing me. Like I was walking through their offices and different people would sort of grab me and bring me into their office and be like, what do you think of like the position of the pocket? I'm like, don't you know are you a designer but like yeah I would move it over a half inch to the center just saying whatever <laughs> um anyway so I met with them and it was 
such a funny experience. I mean, I just got up and chatted with them and they just sat around and, um, you know, I don't know if, if they would treat a man this way, but basically like at the end they were like, okay, that sounds good. Like, let's get it going. Like, you know, kind of like, and I was like, you know, I have a lawyer and <laughs> wow. I have contracts and there's like these professional right. business mm-hmm. things that need to be negotiated. I, it was sort of like, they were kind of like, yeah, we'll just like, you know, you just start doing it and cool. Um, so, but they were so nice and it was an experience that I don't really think happens for a lot of people anymore where you have this large corporation yeah. who essentially yeah. just trusted me to do whatever I want and funded it. Like they were like, yes, just do whatever you think is cool. And I went back to New York and um, they gave me money. It was great. And they gave me, you know, a whole resource team um, overseas because they did everything in Hong Kong. Um, and so they don't normally do everything in Hong Kong, but because it was a higher in line, they wanted to use better factories that they had there. Like we used the same factory that sewed helmet lang jeans and APC and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I use like really nice Japanese denim and, you know, just like took things up a notch for them, but they basically let me do whatever I wanted. I, I was able to, you know, hire all my friends, direct the photo shoots. I, I, I did everything. I mean, I oversaw every aspect of it and it was great. I did it for a few years. What was your distribution like? Well, then I hooked them up with Stephen Allen for him to rep the line. And so he, oh, gotcha. he rep the line and, you know, we sold it at Barney's and this and that. And it was all over yeah. the place. Yeah. And then I sold it at my store, which was great. So I made, you know, money off selling it there. And I didn't have to front the money for the inventory. Mm-hmm. They basically gave me every, the whole collection on consignment. Oh, wow. And, you know, which was good. It's an incredible and, partnership. Yeah. Yeah. So then I did that. I think I had like a three-year contract um, and it got them a ton of press and it was really good. Um, And then, (laughs) so classic, they were like, okay, well, we kind of got what we, yeah, you know, what we could, (laughs) but now we're going to hire like a more famous designer. So they hired Uh, Mark Jacobs to take it over. And I was so annoyed. I was like, really? Like, Mark doesn't need this gig. Like I need it. Like yeah. this is funding my business. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like he doesn't give a shit. And basically I think he did it for a season. I'm not really sure. I'm not going to blame him personally. Cause I honestly don't think he even did anything with it, but whoever did it just went through what I did and picked out like the best pieces and mm-hmm. then just remade them. It was so annoying to me. Oh. Um, but it, I, I kind of didn't really care that much. I think I got my sewing book deal then. And then I was busy uh, doing that and my other stuff and it was fine. What were the, what were the hottest pieces from the collab? I mean, it's just like all the jeans, you mm-hmm. know, it's like I refit all of them. I use really nice Japanese denim. I redid all the labeling and all, you know, all the branding of it. Was it skinny? They were definitely boot cut. No, we had, th- yeah. we had different cuts, okay. but like the men, yeah, okay. there was like boot cuts skinny cut you know i did some like high-waisted ones i did like you know what i, I did like sort of like those just cam pants like the kind of sailor cut yes, mm-hmm. yes um, i remember those um i don't know you know like i kind of did everything the but there is really cute stuff cutoffs you know i did custom prints i did just you know new ways of using denim that 
that now is actually really standard, but there was a lot of stuff I did in denim and using like Cupro denim and stuff to make like denim dresses and things like that, that are now like at Ann Taylor, but like mm-hmm. it went through a whole season where it's like, I was the first person using that kind of fabric and doing that kind of stuff, you know? That is so cool. I mean, I remember this was like, the jeans were about like $98, I want to say. Yeah, and yeah, sort the of prices this, were good. Yeah, it was like a sweet spot because this was like also when expensive jeans yes. started to become a oh, thing, premium you know? denim. So like, mm-hmm. you know, like sevens and citizens and they were all like, about 130, 150. And so this was so much more accessible and obviously mm-hmm. like probably nicer. I bought a pair of seven jeans oh, yeah. in this era that shredded immediately. You know, yeah. uh, there just wasn't, they weren't nice denim in the way that you expected them to be. But like it was surprising how yeah. nice the collab jeans with Wrangler were. Yeah, they were really good. Um, and, you know, I think because mostly this line was really to, make the brand seem cool so that they can sell their cheap Walmart jeans, you know, that they, (laughs) it wasn't, it wasn't a line that they were doing that was going to make them money. It was really like in the marketing expense line of the corporation, you know, so for sure, which is great. But like what happened with that was that I became friendly with those denim people and the factories there. And so that's when I started being able to do my own jeans. And so, Mm And I kind of did the same thing. I think my jeans sold for like 120 or something. Um, but like I never advertised that it was like really fancy Japanese denim and that it was made like the same way that, you know, where APC who sells their jeans for like 250, you know, it's like, I didn't advertise any of that because I didn't think that that was important. You know, I just mm-hmm. was like, these are great jeans. And uh, I still get people, like I get a lot of guys who are like, hey, I bought these jeans in 2010. Do you still make them? And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't. I actually stopped making them because I can't sell one pair of jeans to one customer every decade. Like, you made them too well. That's the problem. I, that's what I'm know? saying. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's bittersweet. <laughs> like, I don't think people should be buying tons of clothes all the time. And I don't think, I don't no. believe in fast fashion and all that stuff. But at the same time, you know, you can't really stay in business when you make really well-made clothes that are classics that people have forever. <laughs> yeah, that is know. so depressing. It's so depressing. I mean, believe me, I, I'm always conflicted with that concept. Can I ask you about your history um, about the printed teas as well? Not so much anymore, but back then I smoked a lot of weed and so I would just get like stoned <laughs> and watch movies. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say like one of my personal skills which is I like to kind of connect things together that maybe not might not always seem like they have a connection and sometimes I'm good at it and sometimes you know I'm I miss miss the point but you know like I did this bloody face boys t-shirt where you know I I just got stoned and watched these movies that I loved and then was like oh my god like you know um getting a bloody nose is a teen boy rite of passage and I just sort of made it you know that but then there's things that most of them have a lot of just personal nostalgia Mm -hmm. to me you know and i think to a lot of other people one of my old neighbors was writing in and was saying um you know uh, how much he wanted to thank you for the gilda radner tea oh yeah i know everybody (laughs) loves that so much Um, i I really hit us like a a deep spot with mm -hmm. so many people with that i mean so when i was a kid we we had a betamax and we only owned a (gasps) couple 
like beta tapes. Mm -hmm. We had Young Frankenstein um, Mm -hmm. and maybe Blazing Saddles. Yes, of course. It's a huge, like Gene Wilder fan, huge fan of his Mm -hmm. my entire life. Like I wish he was my dad. Like I love him so much. And, (laughs) you know, I grew up watching SCTV and Saturday Night Live and, you know, in Chicago, Second City and all that comedy stuff. So like my whole life, I was just obsessed with comedy and made me happy. And so I don't know, it just, you know, I did the Willy Wonka shirt and I, of Jean and then Gilda one. And um, yeah, it was just like, you know, it just made me feel good. So I would make these things or like, I love To Kill a Mockingbird. That was like one of my favorite Mm -hmm. books and movies and, you know, Bad News Bears, I love that. So I'd love, like, it's sort of like pre-meme or something. Like, I would sort of take stills at Smoke Paw, watch movies, and, like, find these moments, you know, that (laughs) just sort of resonated, captured whatever, this feeling that I made me feel good. And then I would have my friend who's an illustrator draw it out for me. Then I would make it as a T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. So They were, I mean, those were iconic. That was that was like Brooklyn hipsters, you know, around yeah, totally. the globe. I sold so many of those t-shirts. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I still do. I still sell them. Like every day, I sell tons of those shirts. I I'm similar to a lot of people, and, mm-hmm. and I just happen to tap into the things that I like, and lots yeah. of other people like it too. And I make it. So. Nostalgia is trending, <laughs> so I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, yeah. you'll you'll continue to see that. Um, yeah, you know, jumping yeah. to the DIY trend can you actually tell us a little bit more about the 2000s diy trend and maybe like your evolution into getting into simplicity patterns as well as the sewing books yeah Yeah. so um you know you know that i've been sewing my whole life yes um and then i collected sewing patterns and Uh actually like i loved the ultimate score was when you got those counter books Sometimes, like at a flea market, you could find like those, yes. those, those big, thick books that Which they'd ones? have on the counter at the sewing stores that you flip through to oh, pick out the pattern that you want. Yes, like I could get. I had some of those. Those were like really exciting for me. But you had some of the counter books. Oh yeah, those I are still do. so cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. I have a counter book from like 1920 something. Oh wow! Um, that's all just black and white, and whoever owned it had used it to keep recipes in so they cut out recipes glued them into the pages and then like the tabs or it would say like tops or bottoms or dresses mm-hmm. or whatever they would put like jams and jellies like casseroles oh and my gosh so cool. yeah i love this <laughs> um, but yeah so i had this customer who was a literary agent and mm-hmm. she left me a note at the store and was like um I really like, I read an interview with you and that your background comes from home sewing, which, you know, a lot of fashion people, they come from being a stylist. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. Something like that. It's not, yeah. you know, it's a very different scene. Like people who yeah. sew, there's a home sewing and it's crafty and it's not fashion and it's not elevated. And it's, and then you have people who are like, I'm a fabulous fashion designer and you know, whatever. So, um, I came from a home sewing background and she liked that. And she was like, I, would you want to do a series of instructional sewing books? And um, I was really stoked on that because I was a self-taught sewer and had been sewing every day since I've been a young person. And 
really found I had like Vogue sewing and I had all the sewing books and I always found that there was nothing that really, you know, pattern making is so important mm-hmm. also to sewing and understanding construction and all that stuff. So I just felt that there was like a real lack in the, the market as far as sewing books go that, and also I had developed like techniques and just ways of thinking about it that other books didn't do. And it's like modern ways. Yeah. I had this cookbook. A lot of people have it. Mark Bittman's how to cook everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And he had, he had a really cool way of explaining cooking. He just broke it down in this way. It was like, you know, if you want to make something, you know, like sort of like everybody uses the same things. It's just a different flair. So like, if you want it to taste Middle Eastern, you know, use this spice, And if you want it to taste like more American, make it like this or French, make it like, you know, but you're using the same kind of protein base or grain or spice or, you know, if you use scallions or onions or shallots, like that all means different thing, you know, but they're all in the same group. And so I like the way that he explained that. So I wanted to make a book that just showed like, okay, this is every collar, or this is like mm-hmm. how you finish a sleeve. Like you could use binding, you can use a cuff, you can add a ruffle, like just so that people would understand all the options on how to design. It's like super um, user friendly. Yeah. And then like once from there, yeah. once you understand, like you can do, cause I mean, like if you're making a button down shirt, you're going to assume that you have to make a certain kind of cuff, but like, you don't have to, you could put a ruffle mm-hmm. on there. You can put binding. I don't know anything. And so I wanted people to understand like, okay, here's all the options and then like take it from there and make up some new options, combine things like get creative. So that was a concept. And I was really psyched to be able to share that with people and share combining pattern making with sewing. And so, yeah, so I did the book. Um, and then let's see, I think that was with Little Brown or Random House. I had two different publishers. I did four books. So that is so amazing. I had two different publishers during that time. And then when, because I was including patterns with the book, um, you know, at first a publisher was like, okay, we can just print them. And I was like, it's very specific. Like I wanted it to be very legit. And so I reached out to Simplicity and they were psyched and they were like, we'll print your patterns for the book. And then I really hit it off with them. Like all the people who work at Simplicity were just excellent people. And I, we just had a connection. And so I pitched them doing this built by you um, line of sewing patterns, yes. um, mm-hmm. which like was sort of inspired. I, ha- I had these patterns called like make it tonight or <laughs> something like was <laughs> one brand. Like I just thought, I thought like built by you would be kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And I, and I remember when I was doing it, I had some friends being like, are you scared that, you know, people are going to steal your designs and like do their own line. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want them to do. They should do that. Go for it. You know, like, yeah, like, like I, they already do. Yeah. Exactly. Like it doesn't matter. Like I will always have new ideas and new things. Yeah. Like I'm my own person. Uh, everybody can also do their own thing or whatever. I wasn't, I didn't really care. And so it's been really fun because I see all these people who are like, I made this thing. And I, it's fun to see them take the pattern and change it or do their own fabrics. Do people still use those patterns and like tag you in a post? They do. You know what? Yeah. Like on yeah. Instagram, like I'll get a few here and there or whatever. And it makes me happy. It's, it's, it's rad, you know? 
Um, but so what I tried to do different was like how we were complaining before about sewing patterns, you know, the fit can be kind of dowdy mm-hmm. or you don't really know, it's, you know, and fit is really important. That's why I'm my own pattern maker. And so I think people could understand like if they knew me in my line and saw my clothes, they would know what the fit would be like and that it would be more like contemporary. And- it's only pear shape and for a five two exactly. person. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. exclusively. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, it was a great experience. So I did that for a few years. I feel like I still see that influence everywhere because like before that collection, sewing patterns were just, they were for someone else. Mm-hmm. They were for someone right. older, I guess, more conservative. And now I see people like on Etsy who have full on stores where they're selling right. very modern contemporary patterns that they've created themselves. Like if you're really into minimalism, there's mm-hmm. a ton of that. And oh, right. I I follow so many accounts of people who just that's all they do is sew all the time yeah, and yeah. like make their own clothes. And I that was just something that didn't exist in that way. Like the only people I knew who sewed in like say college, they were in the fashion program. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So like it just wasn't common if especially if you were cool and young to sew. It just didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I was actually kind of surprised when I started going to school. Even like I was like, I'm going to fashion school. It's gonna be glamorous. And then I'm like, just sitting there and I'm just sewing all day long. And I'm knitting (laughs) and I'm crocheting and I'm kind of doing all these things that were like, you know, you were doing in a home ec. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Now I get it, you know, but also feeling <laughs> super empowered that I'm like, these are all things, you know, this is like, it's almost like a trade program, but these are all things that now I, I, I feel like I can, I can actually make things and I can do things that pretty much nobody knows how to do. Like, it's like a lost it's art. Yeah. It is. It is. I, I feel like in the pandemic, I know a lot of people like started to do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been picking up steam and I see it like we get I so many people send me messages or call or email me uh, who listen to Clothes Wars who are like, I have decided to start learning how to sew during the pandemic. I always listen to your show when I'm sewing. Mm-hmm. It inspires me to do more. And so I just feel like I hear this story again and again where people are like, you know what? I finally decided. I had home ec like 20 years ago. Now <laughs> I'm learning. I'm relearning how to sew or I'm taking this time. And I think it's really exciting because I feel like we don't understand how much work goes into clothing. And that's why everybody wants things to be $4 and 90 cents. Yeah. Yeah. If they actually had to sew that thing, they'd be like, what? I mean, I remember when I (laughs) first started and when I was living in Kansas and I was selling my stuff on my front lawn, like on a clothing line and Mm -hmm. people who were yard selling just thought I was also a yard sale and they'd come up and they'd be like, cute (laughs) dress, how much? And I would be like $32 and they'd be like, oh, uh-huh. Oh my God, $32. Like, I'll give you a dollar fifty for that. And I remember uh, like hands on hips being like, I made this. Like I this took me like all day. I sewed this. Like I went yeah. to the store, I bought the fabric, I cut it, I sewed it, and now <laughs> it's hanging out here. Like it's worth $32. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gosh, what a smoking hot deal, too. I know, right? I know there was inflation and everything, but yeah. I mean, I think. You know, we, when we were sort of planning this episode, we went off on a tangent about where fashion is today and how mm-hmm. it's it's so different, uh, you know, because of fast fashion being so prevalent. And I wonder, like, how do you see yourself fitting into that now? 
Oh my god, man. Ah. I don't. I honestly don't know where I fit into anything. To be honest, right now. <laughs> I hear um, you. <laughs> but I, you know, it's depressing to me to see these stores with just all the stuff. You know, just mm-hmm. I get a little overwhelmed. Like my mom was a hoarder, so I'm like, ugh. I go in these stores. I'm like, so much stuff. You know, like where does it all go? Yeah. And especially if it's like really cheap and shitty and super trendy, like a fake fur neon green bolero jacket. I'm like, nobody, like, why did you even create this? Like, it's just going to go in a dumpster at some point. Like Amanda calls it future uh, garbage. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) If it's, you you know, but I don't know, it's hard for me to tell because I'm older now. And I think older people are more concerned with like, I just want like a really well-made thing because I don't, but you know what? Also, I think that when you, I don't know. I'm just sort of riffing now, but I feel like at a different time before social media, maybe people had to express them. They were more limited in their outlets of expressing themselves, you know? And so wearing Mm -hmm. clothes was really important. Whereas now, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly we can wear sweatpants all day, but our form of expression is like what we post on Instagram or different things. And so you can express your personality through your curation rather than how you look, I think. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I, don't, I think that's a good call out. I don't know if fashion is that important, but I don't know. Then again, we've been locked up for like a year and a half and I'm sure, you know, people will be out and wearing awesome, crazy outfits and be like, this is who I am. I'm fabulous. But um yeah, fashion is sort of depressing to me. But then at the same time, I'll be out shopping and I'm like, this is actually a really good sweater at H&M and it's $19 and I'll buy it, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, and so I don't know. But I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If, will it go away? I'm not sure, you know. I don't know. But I, I remember the time when markets changed where – um you know, a certain type of person would just shop at certain stores. And mm-hmm. I don't remember what year it was. It was definitely during the internet where you got sort of fancier people who shopped at Barney's would also be like, actually, I'm going to also pick up this out item at Urban Outfitters or something. Like, 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 that's low what we thing. called it in the uh-huh. industry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like acceptable and was mm-hmm. cool yeah. to do and okay. And I remember yeah. that was like a shift. Do you follow any brands now or are you just exhausted by the industry? No, I've never really been in the industry. I don't. Yeah. Just yeah. Kind of, You're like periphery. Yeah, totally. I've just sort of done my, my own thing. And so mm-hmm. all I know, I have some friends in fashion. You know, most of my friends were in music or just artists or other people. And so I've just never been part of that fashion scene. I, I always find it kind of exhausting. And I think there's part of me that because this has been a school project that's gone on for 30 years that I never really... <laughs> You know, like it sort of felt like, oh, this is a medium for me to express myself, but also I could have, I can do that in other ways too. So I don't know. I'm not like a fashion person. You like got a a soft touch on like the kind of gross part of the fashion industry right from the beginning. And we're like, dude, not for me. I'm going to stay away, very far away from this. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't, I think fashion's a little, 
feels a little bit limiting to me as far as like a a creative expression. Mm -hmm. Like I think I've done the best I possibly can with expressing myself and sort of trying to balance of like, here's a weird idea that also could be a sellable clothing item. What are you up to now? I'm still making clothes. I have a studio out here and I'm just, you know, it's weird. It's like, I, I used to, I'm going through my archives and it's like, I used to love just, you know, doing a seasonal collection and really coming up with a concept and using clothing to flesh out that concept and to kind of stay mm-hmm. on the theme or whatever. And I think fashion's changed so much that it's like, I'm not really doing seasons and I'm not really doing like a collection because it's kind of wasteful. You know, it's like, I, there's stuff, just ideas that I have that I think would be cool, but I don't know if they're actually sellable. <laughs> you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. um So it's more like I'm just doing items here and there that don't necessarily form like a seasonal collection. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm still making clothes. I not that psyched just to be online. I mean, it's so, I realize like it's so much fun having a shop and, and seeing the reaction from people, you know, and seeing what sells more. It's, it's sort of hard being just virtual. I have to say. Um, I'm sure. But it's my 30th mm-hmm. anniversary this year, so going to be launching some new stuff. I mean, it's, you know, I don't mean to sound like depressive, but it's been like a year of COVID. And so it's, I've yeah. been sort of in a place where I'm like, should I even be doing this anymore? And like, who even cares about clothes? And like, <laughs> do I want to take all my money and like invest in making inventory that I don't know what people want or like or care about or you know it's I think the usual stuff people go through so but I am doing that and then um I have some other things I've been doing writing for about five years um like screenplay stuff and so I actually wrote like a fashion tv pilot that I have kind of going around um oh and working on a few projects like that. So I always have kind of like a writing project thing. I mean, I'm not really making any money off of it, but it's something that's fun for me and like a different outlet. So, um, you know, I wrote like kind of like a John Hughes type eighties comedy. I've written like, you know, stuff like that. And so, wow. Um, yeah. And then on another, a real Renaissance woman. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Um, and then about a year ago, and this is going to sound awful because I'm not an ambulance chaser. I actually thought of this concept before COVID started and started working on it, which is I wanted to create a website that was all about death and dying because I didn't feel like there was like a one-stop place where people mm-hmm. could go to find mm-hmm. out like, every, you know, like everything to do and what happens and all that. And so I started building this website that I haven't finished and haven't, launched yet but it's all about death and dying and then COVID hit (laughs) and I was like oh my god and then I actually became an end-of-life doula at the same time while building a site but I haven't been able to practice any of it I don't even know if I want to practice but it's just been interesting I designed an urn I'm like making some shrouds but now it seems so depressing I really kind of don't know if I how much I can continue but 
anyways, I started it before COVID and then I've been working on it during COVID and it's been like, what am I doing? But it's been really interesting. So I'm doing all that. And then I'm like trying to build this roller rink. Wait, I'm like, I'm like a total maniac. I have like so many ridiculous projects that I'm trying to, you know, different levels of trying to make happen or happening. And so that's why Built by Wendy's a little bit like, oh, I have to get back to making some more clothes because I get it like, you know, doing something for 30 years. You get yeah. Of- yeah. I mean, this is all so interesting though. You know, like, I, I mean, it's kind of boring when you meet someone who works mm-hmm. in fashion and like, that's all they do right. or think about. And they're so immersed in it because there's so much like, I don't know, there's so much like self-reverence in the fashion industry. Yeah. Like, look at what we do every day. It's so magical. And you're like, uh, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I don't like, it's like a bubble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It's never really been my scene. And so I've always done, I don't know, I have like other things I'm interested in and ways of expressing myself. So, but, you know, as it's been my livelihood and my business, you know, so that's how I live and I do this. But, you know, I don't know, I do other things too. I'm trying to. <laughs> I think it's really cool. Like I said, like the people that you would meet at work who like all they'd ever done was like work in fashion. They just like didn't have that much to talk about ultimately, you know? So I, I think like to be good at anything that's creative, you have to be constantly feeding your brain with other things that have nothing to do what, with what you actively make, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's how where creativity comes from. That's why like diversity in everything in your world is, what we need because it's inspiring and it creates yeah. that's progress, you know? So, you know, if you get people who are just very single-minded and closed and not exposed to ideas of people, it means it's pretty lame. And then really what you end up is just in a cycle of comparing, you know, like if you're just talking to a fashion person, they're just going to be like, that cashmere sweater is not as good as this cashmere sweater. It's like, yeah are you pace are you pacing me <laughs> yeah. yeah i just got i just stood up because i was like oh i've been sitting does it sound like it <laughs> yeah i hear i like hear heels oh, yeah. clicking and it gets kind of quiet yeah <laughs> oh sorry yeah i was just looking no no not at all normally i pace constantly like when i talk to my friends oh. i'm pacing the entire time and at the end i'm exhausted i'm like why am i so tired i'm like oh just gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we had some questions that mm-hmm. our listeners sent in. Um, one of them was, what were some of the favorite things you ever made? It's hard for me to think of one specific thing, but I would say in general, my favorite things are when I can visualize something and then I can get all the parts to mm-hmm. come together and it comes out perfectly. Mm-hmm. So like, for instance, I might think of an idea for a dress, but like I couldn't afford the fabric or I couldn't get that zipper made the way I wanted or the embroidery. I couldn't get that done. And so I'll do a, a one step down from my vision, you know, and mm-hmm. then I'll be like, Oh, it didn't come out exactly how I wanted. But those moments where 
like I got the fabric, I was able to do in the color I wanted. And like, I got this special label put on that I saw, you know, and it just all comes together. And it's like this thing. I get really stoked about that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But I would say like doing, you know, as a designer coming from home sewing where I would go into a fabric store and have to like pick out what fabrics I had and make something to being able to design my own fabrics and do my own colors or design my own prints. That's always really makes me happy. And that's a way that I get to express myself more, you know? So yeah, I would say, I would say like that, you know, things like that. Um, there's pieces that I have, like I have not everything. Cause I was always so broke all the time. And so I'd be like, I'm not going to keep this jacket. I could sell it for 300 bucks, you know? And then like, now I don't have it anymore, you know, cause I sold it. Mm-hmm. But I do have a lot of archives and it's interesting for being around for so long stuff that I was like, Oh, I'll never wear this again. I pull it out. I'm like, actually this looks pretty chic right now, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it seems like you, you could actually like open up a museum, like a built by Wendy museum from all the I, artifacts, like VHS tapes. And, right. and I want to see it. Get LACMA mm-hmm. on the horn. Let's make it right? happen. Yeah. yeah. My neighbor works at LACMA. <laughs> yeah. I can do that. There you go. Do an exhibition. <laughs> yeah, I just transferred all my VHS tapes to digital that have my fashion shows. And so I'm trying to put together, because it's my 30th anniversary, I'm going to kind of go hard and try to put up. I'm sort of trying to create a time capsule thing for my website that has sort of a lot of things. Or I don't know, maybe I'll do a book. I'm not sure. But I have like a lot of oh images gosh. and a lot of items. That would be so cool. Would you include sure. any yeah. patterns within that if you did a book or what would you, what would you do? Oh, like an actual sewing pattern in the book? Yeah. Like yeah. Like, like, <laughs> um, you know, where it's kind of like, it's almost like a, um, it's like yeah. a patchwork of all of, all of your things, right, right. you know, yeah. all of your memories. God, I wonder, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to, 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 to create totally a direction. Um, <laughs> no, I like it. I'm all about collaboration. Um, but yes, it's along, you know, along those lines, you know, really everything kind of comes down to money. Like the more money you have, the more you can have the resources to create things closer mm-hmm. to your vision. You know, there's so many things that, cause I just, I truly don't couldn't afford it. I mean, I'm like a self finance. I worked at a record store for seven bucks an hour, like um, that I would just kind of do the best I had had with the money I have. So there's something like, for instance, like my branding, it just sort of came about because that's all like, I couldn't hire, you know, like some of my photo shoots are so bad. Cause I was like, I can't afford film. Like I can't mm-hmm. afford to pay yeah. a photographer or I don't have a graphic designer. So I guess I'll just like cut out this image from a magazine and like slap my logo on it. And so it just sort of, you know, it's what I did with what I had, but like, it's great when you have a lot of money and you can really go to town with, you know, I think, I think if I had a lot of money, I could really go crazy and show some cool stuff, but I just do the best that I can with whatever resources. But there's still something really awesome about that, like DIY aspect of even yeah. just like your marketing. Yeah. You have like a new, you know, yeah. you're forced to. Cause that appeals to us, to the, the, the demographic anyway, you know, yeah. where you don't have some sort of glossy, glamorous uh, right. photo shoot mm-hmm. with beautiful, perfect branding, you know, no, 
back then when if you had that it, you know <laughs> that was yeah they didn't want that I, no no I thank remember, you <laughs> I remember that I I specifically wanted to I guess market my stuff to me and my friends and other people who could afford my stuff mm-hmm. and I remember I made a choice on that like there was a time where maybe I could have tried to go more high end and like because I was selling at Barney's a little bit and I could have tried to go that direction more but I remember thinking like I want to make clothes for like the assistance mm. of the people mm-hmm. you know what I mean like the real like yeah. the young people who work for the other people I don't because it also felt scary to me um there's a, you know, to make really expensive clothes, there's an expectation and pressure. So like if I were to make coats that sell for $700, you know, if my factory messed those up and I, my order got canceled, I would go out of business. Yeah. One, yeah. Like, that's it. And so I sort of felt comfortable making things more inexpensive and catering to customers who were like my peers because that felt like I could, I could deliver on those terms and I wouldn't go out of business if I mess something up or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I didn't have any like safety net for that. And also, you know, those people intimidated me. If I got like some fancy lady coming in and she was like complaining and she spent like $500 on something, like I would be scared. (laughs) I'd be like, I don't know. And like, I'm broke and sorry. And you know, whatever. All right. I've got another question um, for you. Do you listen to any music or podcasts while you work? Um, I do. I mean, a long time ago before I got my studio or even had my store or anything like that, I worked out of my apartment and I had a little tiny television, like a kitchen TV that I have on my cutting table. And I just would have on like Jerry Springer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Belly Jesse Raphael and all that stuff. And I would just have like those kind of talk Arsenio and all those shows on. Mm-hmm. Um because it just felt like somebody keeping me company all day because I, I, I always worked alone. And then I guess, you know, my studio was in the back of my store for a long time and me and my assistant worked back there. So we would just listen to the store that the music that was playing in the store. Um but now I listen to mostly like NPR all day or sometimes mm-hmm. audio books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listen to music too. And I kind of mix it up. And then sometimes I don't listen to anything just because I really need to concentrate on something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but I don't have a mini TV anymore. And I actually remember going into JNR Music World downtown and buying this little TV and I was looking at it and the guy like comes over and he's like, you should get this one. This one's a little bit nicer because you can plug it in on your yacht. And it was like <laughs> one of those upsells where like all of a sudden I had this like aspiration where I was like, yeah, I should invest in that TV because I might have a yacht someday. I'm watch <laughs> TV on it. And so I bought it and I had that TV forever. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, do you have any like final wise thoughts or anything you want to share with everyone? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> um, stop buying clothing. Uh-huh. Um, buy vintage, yeah. buy used. I mean, 
Oh my god, I've been buying so much stuff on Etsy lately. Just like, I mean, I always do. I love that, but like, I just got in a thing where I had this when I was a teenager. I had my dad's like Harrington Barracuda jacket, you know, like a golf jacket with like the plaid lining, you know, those sort of classic style. Then I actually made some in my collection like 20 years ago or whatever, but the other day I was like, I really want one of those again. There is something though, I do get. Um, people, young people who want advice, like they'll email me and be like, I want to be a fashion designer. Like, how do I do it? Mm-hmm. Um, or like, tell me your story. But I don't, I honestly don't know how my story would relate. To <laughs> I don't know how yeah, that's, do. It just does not make sense. It's like a totally different yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, to be in fashion now, like, uh-huh. I mean, I think it is interesting because like I even – I had been observing this on Instagram where more and more people have started their own small businesses making clothing during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was listening to Marketplace, which I know now that Wendy is familiar with because she's listening to NPR all day. Mm-hmm. And they actually were talking mm-hmm. about how there has been like surprisingly this rise in entrepreneurship, like starting yeah. small businesses during the pandemic. And I was like, yeah, duh. I've been talking about that on Clothes Horse for months. Like right. get mm-hmm. with it, Kai. But uh, <laughs> you I know, know. I mean, it's actually- it's good. I mean, it's so easy now to have a little business. I mean, yeah, it really yeah. is. Like, just you can make your own squares. Just to be digital. You can, like, get an Instagram. You take photos with your phone. I mean, it's incredible. Like, what I went through, I have, like, PTSD from the last 30 years. <laughs> I mean, like, like, literally, I had, like, an actual camera with film that I would have to take Oh, my photos. goodness. You know, I, I mean, just, those. like, yeah. stuff like that. I mean, I remember when the internet started. I remember, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I have so many programs. I mean, I was telling you guys this the other day. It's, like, I had to borrow a CD-ROM to go through, like, photo shoots <laughs> and, like, VHS tapes and, like, jazz drives and, like, I have... I have physical, you know, just like prints and uh, it's just like every form of media I've been through and every program I've just watched, you know, I've been through it all. So Mm -hmm. it's like now it's like cake. Oh my God. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, like, if you have this idea that you're going to start a small business and become a millionaire, that might be like a different, that's a whole different ball of wax. But if you're like, I just want to do what I like and pay my bills, like, this is yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Um, but yeah, I do get people who ask about getting into fashion and the one thing I would say is like, if you want to have a business, then I guess go to business school, you know what I mean? Or read about business. I don't know. It's like, exactly. It's, that's kind of what it comes down to. Like learn how to run a business. It's not just like learning how to sew or that like you like clothing or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I kind of feel like everything has been done and everything is out there. I honestly don't know what anybody else has to say <laughs> on the subject of clothing. The, the competition is so insane and fierce. And, you know, I went to FIT about 10 years after you went to FIT. Mm-hmm. And when I went to FIT, it was right before Project Run- Runway came mm-hmm. out. And it was it was really easy to get in, get in you know, like the, the, like that industry hadn't blown mm-hmm. up yet. Like being a fas- fashion designer wasn't like mm-hmm. really a thing that people really did. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly it was on TV and it was the thing to do. And then you couldn't get into schools. Like like really? the, the the price to get in there was insanely expensive. Like more and more schools opened. Like now there's just so many people coming out of these programs that there is yeah. just too many people. Yeah. 
there's too many designers. I mean, with everything. I mean, I have a friend who I was hanging out with, she makes documentaries. And I was saying to her, I was like, ugh, like, who even cares about fashion? And it's like, or whatever. And she's like, that's how I feel about documentaries. Literally, everybody is a documentary filmmaker, everybody is a photographer, everybody is a DJ, everybody, Mm -hmm. everybody can. Yes. Um, And I think that's so great, actually. Like, one thing that I never really liked about the world as this sort of elite gatekeeper thing. Like mm-hmm. I remember living in Kansas and making clothes and knowing that I had to move to New York. And like, of course I moved to New York and like was around the right people and made it happen, you know, but I always thought about like the girl in Kansas, who's probably really talented and, but she just doesn't have mm-hmm. access to that world or whatever. And so I think that because things are so democratic and I truly believe that everybody is creative when given like the right mm-hmm. situation to be in an opportunity. Um, I think, I think it's great. That's why I think for me personally, <laughs> like I want to do the jobs that nobody wants, you know what I mean? Like I'll be an end of life doula. Nobody wants to sit with somebody dying. <laughs> like I'm always like trying to be like a head. Like I like doing the things that nobody does. So when I started doing fashion, I was like, nobody really cared about that. Now it's- <laughs> you're this like really, you're like a cool hip misfit. We all gravitate towards that, 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 you know, you know, outliers mm-hmm. and um, disruptors and interesting thinkers and, you know, people that kind of can, um, that want to be on the fringe. Yeah. But the positive fringe, yeah, yeah. You know, not, not the negative, negative not the negative yeah. fringe, <laughs> positive fringe. Yeah. It would just be nice that yeah. I think with COVID and all this happened, like it would be nice if I don't know people valued the kind of jobs that need to be valued, like teachers or healthcare workers yeah, and yeah. things like that. That like I don't know. Like some of these creative jobs just seem really like empty. Like what are we contributing to the world really? (laughs) You know, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But this is like, you know, I'm 51 years old now. So I'm on brand (laughs) for having a different attitude like that. It was fun talking to you guys. This has been awesome. Awesome. I loved this. This was so fun. What a fun hangout. Wendy, I can't wait until we can all hang out IRL. Thank you again to Wendy for taking the time to talk to us. It was so exciting, and I'm still fangirling so hard. What a legend. What a great series of stories she had to tell us, too. So exciting. This conversation has me itching to do some more sewing later this week, so that's my plan for next weekend. What about you? If you're not a sewing person, which I get, it's pretty intimidating, but you want to hold on to that good Built by Wendy vibe, Go check out her website at builtbywendy.com and use promo code THEDEPARTMENT to receive 20% off full-priced product. That's promo code THEDEPARTMENT with no space between the two words. And don't worry, you didn't have to go run and grab a pen and pencil to write that down. We'll share that code in the show notes too. All right, we'll be back next week with lots of exciting tales of online dating. Bye.